Hi, this is Reese Roper, and you're listening to our newest podcast ever. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew and John, and we love this podcast because it's about us. Welcome to Magnified Pod, the second season, our newest podcast ever. And if you want to cuddle with a couple Hufflepuffs, you know who to call. I'm Andrew. I'm John. And this is our podcast. And that is a line and a reference from an 117 song uh, from the album Basic Glitches Mm -hmm. that you should go and listen to. After you listen to our podcast, you thought I was going to go say, listen to it right now. No, you're going to want to stick around. <laughs> That's right. Because we're talking to Matt Langston from 117 and the fast feeling. Yeah, we are. You, you know, those guys. This is a uh, fast feeling episode two, baby. Yeah. I mean, we just got to get our boy Andy on, right. on the pod and then we will have, Hmm. the wink wink the the quad the quad quad uh quadrilogy i don't know the, the quadrilogy the quad, uh, that's the quadrant yeah there we go uh that's the second album sophomore effort from fast feeling the quadrant <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah so uh talking to matt was an absolute blast yes uh i i've had i John, I, I don't know about you, but we weren't even doing a, an album review uh-huh. uh, for, this, for this episode. And I spent so much time listening to Basic Glitches in the last yeah. week. Yeah. Like, I, like, and like uh, reading the lyrics and going over it at, in a way that I do when we normally... Yes. Uh, cover a record and i was we were just interviewing matt and i <laughs> right. was i was just i was just having such a blast and having so much fun yeah i actually record. had to keep reminding myself that we weren't actually covering the record because <laughs> i was so in the weeds yeah. with it um yeah. but yes check out i would say in particular basic glitches is 117's most recent album check out jelly rocks's most recent album uh, obviously fast feeling you should have dove into fully at this point. If you're listening to this um, and we'll touch on this in the interview, obviously, but Matt also has a great podcast of his own called 11 day life. And I was very in the weeds with all of those interviews as well. He's had uh, a lot of super interesting people on and had some great discussions, um, man. Like after the interview, John and I were like, Oh man, we didn't get a chance to like talk about this or this. It's just like, we could have talked, we could have yeah. kept talking <laughs> to Matt for yes. easily another hour or an hour and a half, just because, uh, he's such a fascinating guy. His, yeah. his, his story is very interesting. His, uh, his, work in music is just so unique and fun and yeah. uh yeah we're just it just seems like he's just he's just a good dude and um he's a bro yeah he, he he's is not a, he's not a chad but he's not he is a, chad a polo he is a bro <laughs> in a pink shirt and he is one of yeah. our dudes now for he's sure one of our dudes for sure 
Um, if you would like to talk, if you would like to hear us talk a little bit more about Basic Glitches, the album, we will be doing that as a post-game bonus episode over on the Patreon for this Boom. week. So check that out. Yes. Uh, so yeah, this is this is a long, a long conversation. So we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna spend any time here at the top of the show doing uh, any voicemails or any other nonsense. We're just gonna get right into our conversation with Matt Langston. John, today on Magnified Pod, we have Matt Langston. He's a musician you might know as lead singer of Eleven Seven and the Jelly Rocks, as well as writer and collaborator for The Fast Feeling. Or you may know him from his podcast, Eleven Life. His latest Eleven Seven album, Basic Glitches, is out now on Rock Candy Recordings. Matt Langston, welcome to Magnified Pod. Yeah, you, you have... Uh... You know more about me than I do at this point. <laughs> I had forgotten like half of those things. <laughs> unicorn lover. Uh, Un- yeah, unicorn yeah. lover. Unicorn lover. You are turning everything into something sexual today. It could have been like unicorn enthusiast, unicorn collector. Unicorn uh, um, appreciator. I don't know. But you just went straight for like the unicorn. I mean, you um, know. I just I realized it. there's probably a whole weird world of uh, unicorn <laughs> porn yeah, I, out there that I, I don't want to I see. I <laughs> know more about unicorns than I care to at this point. I feel like every week somebody will volunteer some new piece of information from some bizarre place on the internet or dark web. I don't know where they come up with this stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Nothing good out there. Are you a, are you a brony? Did you get into the, the, the My Little Pony thing? No, I, I am not a brony, okay. but I... I feel like I, I, it doesn't feel weird to me that there are bronies, if that makes sense. Sure. Like, I'm not, I'm not that guy who can just, like, dive into that subculture and be super into it. But I, from a distance, I get why people love it. And I would be lying if I didn't say that I would love to, at some point, play a brony con. <laughs> if, I mean, if they it seems like a good artists. fit. Yeah. So... Sounds I feel like there's got. I feel like there there'd be some some good crossover there. I think yeah. it, I think it, I think, it, I, think it, I think it'd work. Yeah. All right, yeah. So BronyCon 2021 confirmed. Um, <laughs> we uh, yeah. We had, thanks so much, Matt, for coming on the show. We've been we've been talking about having you on for a while, and at this point, we've kind of blown through the entire uh, Five Iron Frenzy discography proper and moved on to Fast Feeling last week, and. Um, we're huge fans of that record and wanted to get into that, but also just really wanted the opportunity to talk to you. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you talk about on your show and over on the rock candy network is a lot of the same kind of stuff that we're, that we're interested in. So we've been looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to have some fun. Um, so we just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about our background for you and sort of how we landed on this show. Um, we can kind of dive deeper into this uh, later as we go on, but you know, the kind of original idea, Andrew had this idea to start a podcast that went through the entire discography of a band that he really cared about. And for both of us, MXPX was huge as kids. Um, 
And so that's kind of where we started, which is where the magnified pod, magnified plaid thing comes from. Oh, I love uh, it. <laughs> and, but as we went through, we realized, you know, even though that band meant a ton to us, um, we kind of liked the idea of using the band and that kind of scene, you know, we call it the, the Christian bookstore alternate universe um, <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to talk about just the jumping off point for, for culture and religion and politics and, and the broader cultural scene uh, of that kind of moment that we yes. grew up in. Um, you know, both of us are in, are in pretty different places with our faith today than we were in, when we were young and in that scene and playing in bands and all, you so know, let in. you're telling me that you've backslidden. <laughs> <laughs> I may, well, I'm complicated. Andrew definitely backslid. I don't know what yeah. to call mine. Cause I'm I grew so, up. <laughs> I'm so going to hell, Matt, like yeah. big time. Oh man. All of us are, all of us. Uh, but there isn't one. So it's fine. Um, That's fine. That's totally cool. Um, no, I, so I was raised Episcopalian. Um, and then like learned about the whole sort of evangelical world through youth group, which like in the nineties, like I feel like all youth groups were sort of of that flavor. Yes. Um, so that's kind of where I learned about bands and um, you know, when I first started playing in, in Christian punk bands and then I went to a Christian high school and a Christian college where we met. And so that whole time I was very like entrenched in that scene, but I feel oh like God. I grew up, you know, Episcopalian, which like, I feel like I avoided a lot of the trauma that a lot of my friends <laughs> were not able to avoid mm -hmm. sure. uh, mm -hmm. by only ever being in the evangelical scene. So I don't know. I don't know if I've, if I've backslid or kind of stayed, you know, we, one of the things we, we've talked about is like, we don't know if it's possible to really like burn that hot for that long. You know what I mean? Like the whole acquire the fire, like on fire for God, that may not be like a long-term plan and I've been like a, right. a simmer my whole life. Um, so like I've been, I've been simmering all the time, never burning. Um, but <laughs> like I, I still today identify as a Christian, but like I always have looked back on that scene as sort of, you know, looking back on it with a healthy degree of skepticism. Um, and, but even though there are a lot of, aspects about that culture that that screwed people up and screwed us up in some ways that we get into like we also talk a lot about how it was positive for us and it was like this mm. niche and this scene um that was special and that we got to yes to know a lot of these bands and other people and you know the world is so different now that christian music scene as it existed then is gone and there is a lot to look back on that that we that we loved and that kind of shaped us so anyway yeah. it's kind of a, a mix of talking about all that stuff on our show. I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. Cool. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know, Andrew, if you want to weigh in to fill yeah. in any of your gaps there. Yeah. Well, I, I'll just give my, uh, my very brief, give context about where I am. So yeah, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, oh Lord. And <laughs> in the, in, in an evangelical church and um, went to, you know, youth groups, uh, youth group was a very big part of my life as a kid. And, yeah. um, in high school I did all, or all sorts of stuff, you know, Christian clubs, uh, like in, in at our school, I did different small groups. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote, I was like writing songs on, on, you know, when I first started learning guitar, I was like writing songs about my faith and, um, and, I eventually went to North Park where John and I met Christian, you know, Christian school. And uh, throughout my twenties, I 
became a little bit more, uh, again, I'll use John's word, sort of there's a skepticism that I had about the church and yeah. especially as a lot of the ways that our denomination was treating issues of human sexuality, uh, I became a lot more frustrated and angry with with the way the church was uh, treating um, LGBTQ community. And um, I also, into my late 20s, I, I kind of stopped going to church altogether. And by 29, 30, I had started questioning my faith entirely and i'm sorry by 29 30 uh, like the year in the future or <laughs> okay by, oh, by, right, right, right. your age okay okay my age um, so oh my god hundreds of years I'm a, from now i'm a time tra- i'm a time traveler um yeah we're like not even there in the halo saga yet and you're like okay no, by 29 30 you guys things are not good. <laughs> are, there, are there roads? Where we're going, uh, do we need roads? Where, where we're going, there are no roads, bro. Okay. Um, You're a time all, traveler for Christ. That's wonderful. All on fire. Everything is I on think, fire. I think we have the name of uh, somebody's next album, Time Traveler for Christ. <laughs> this sounds. That sounds like awful, awful Christian fan fiction of some kind. <laughs> That's it's actually, that's like one of those that's one of those books that you could like download for free on Amazon. Oh no, it's it's the next book in the Left Behind series. They just there haven't come out with it yet. So. Oh, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Cameron is already is already signed up for this movie project. <laughs> yes, he's bringing all his bananas with him. That's gonna be great. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So anyway, the the long story is I uh, I became an atheist and I still identify as an atheist today. So for about the past six years, um, but over these past six years, my, my, uh, my spiritual outlook has broadened and I ended up going to seminary a few years ago as a way to educate myself more in areas of interfaith dialogue and, um, you know, and kind of support the idea of people, you know, people of secular humanist atheist non-theist beliefs should be at the table when when Mm. uh talking about things relating to interfaith yes Um, yes so um so john and i have you know we're both very much on a uh more progressive political ideology he's more in a still in a uh more his a progressive theology. My theology as an atheist is going to be <laughs> very different than like what a lot of typical like hardline atheists might might sure like, uh, like more of an inclusivity, uh, more of a embracing of my um, you know the people of faith who we're all just trying to figure it out, and I'm just trying to not be an asshole to anybody. Right, you have a, a very wide door and a very nice spread of atheism <laughs> to accommodate. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. So that's my deal. Yeah, so I feel like, I mean, a lot of these questions, people all over the sort of theological and political spectrum, uh, talk to you on Eleventy Life. So, do you want to maybe give sort of a, like, how would you describe what sort of your goal is? 
um, on 11 D life and with rock candy, as far as kind of having these conversations, building this community around kind of shared values or conversations you want to have? Um, that, so that's a really good question. Um, everybody, like, I don't know if your listeners are familiar, but just like a really quick 30 second history of me, I absolutely grew up in the Southern Baptist, evangelical Protestant, you know, kind of subculture. Um, and then I ended up like never really feeling like that was I could never really come to terms with it for lack of a, of a better word. Like it just didn't quite gel with me. Um, but at the same time I like tried my damnedest <laughs> to like, I drank the Kool-Aid. I was the youth group kid. I, I loved all of the like Christian bands. I was super into the tooth and nail discography, like mm-hmm. anything that was on tooth and nail I was into. I was a big five iron fan. Like, MXPX, like I learned how to play guitar listening to MXPX and just like mm-hmm. kind of goofing off, you know. Right um, but that was, I think I just, at some point I began asking questions that nobody had good enough answers for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I feel like my skepticism started pretty young. And then kind of being thrust into the whole like Christian music scene not really understanding what that was, like only ever seeing the product of that, like only ever seeing what the end of the assembly line looked like, you know, with like Christian media and books and uh, music and all of that. Um, I think once I got into that and kind of started seeing how the sausage was made, I was like, oh, fuck this. (laughs) There's no way. This is just like one more disappointment that I had in life where it's like, I don't, I think that what I'm after might not be Christianity. I think that what, where I'm going to find peace is not going to be in whatever this religion is, because this religion is like putting me into therapy because I can't seem to do it right. Yes. Um, So I think like having that experience within the Christian music industry, being completely burned out on it, feeling like every five minutes I'm having to like defend my faith or like tell some youth pastor uh, who's asking me like, you know, what, what's the Lord doing in your life today? And I'm like, I don't really know if that's a thing. I don't even know if that exists. Like youth mm-hmm. pastors don't want to hear that. Like they, <laughs> right. they want you to prop up this like evangelical agenda of like, let's mm-hmm. get, let's get kids into here and let's clean all of them up. Let's yes. make, let's like be a part of crafting them into something, which ends up being highly traumatic for some people mm-hmm. who already struggle with self image or who have gotten yeah. all of these like crazy ideas about themselves from other people growing up. Like you, you get information about yourself from your parents. If your parents are always doing things for you, you get the information that you're not capable of doing anything or that you're not good enough of doing anything. And if people are constantly like uh, critiquing your spiritual life, then your spiritual life is never good enough. Like it's, you're always lacking in some area. Um, Yes. I think what that ended up looking like for me was that I just ended up leaving Christianity altogether, but also with an understanding that if Christianity is what I feel like it's claiming to be or what I understand it to be claiming to be, then I'm not really sure if I'm leaving that. Because to me now, Christianity is like, is an... 
it's like a, it's a way of doing life. It's a way of approaching life. It's a way of waking up every day. It's a way of finding meaning and purpose, alleviating suffering, providing love and connection for our species. And I feel like when I start to encounter things that seem like they're tearing those facets down, um, I'm not sure if that's what Christianity is all about. Like, I don't think that the purpose of Christianity is at the end of the day to be right. I think it's like a really reductionist idea that somehow if you do Christianity right, you might get to go to see sky Christ when you die, you know, and you end up in heaven. I, I, when I study, I'm still like a, a student of Christianity to a degree because there's so many things about it that I still want to understand now yes. that I see it in a completely different way. But it makes so much more sense to me now in the context of, uh, in the context of like Eastern religion, like putting Christianity into the context of like what a lot of Eastern philosophies are. All of a sudden, like Christianity became really rich to me and full of these like really cool ideas and all of a sudden like the things that christ is saying in the bible or is documented as saying in the bible they sort of start to take on this totally new meaning that i found really alleviating and really freeing um but all that to say my beliefs about it now i think to to mainstream american christians are amazingly heretical um and wouldn't make a lot of sense. So the whole purpose, I, I feel like I'm getting super long-winded, but all of that's, that's around that's, that way. That's our brand. Yeah. That's our wheelhouse, man. I love it. Um, all that's around about way of saying that what I want to happen at Rock Candy is for it to be inclusive at all costs because mm-hmm. you can't shame people into a change of heart and you can't shame people into having empathy for others. You're only able to to witness that in others, like when you're able to show it to them yourselves. And so like, there's a lot of people and guests and like podcasts and stuff that we have on rock candy where I'm like, I'm not necessarily on board with what everybody has to say, but I don't give a shit. I'm so much more interested in making sure that we have a platform where everybody has a chance to be heard Mm -hmm. and that it's kind and inviting and nobody's being shouted down. Like um, we don't, have any agenda I feel like other than just an inclusivity that I feel like I was never able to experience Mm -hmm. in my religious journey uh, growing up and so I am I feel like I'm just trying in a really small and maybe even insignificant way to provide that for people to provide a safe space for everybody to be here in question and if you're like super stoked about an idea or you're like really zealous about an idea whether it's like christianity or even like satanism like come here let's talk about it let's let let me hear what you have to say um and so yeah i just i have found so much more joy in being able to just be happy for people on their journey wherever they are as opposed to deciding that i'm on the right one and everybody needs to get on board with my shit i feel like that's that's like that's oppressive (laughs) Yeah. yeah so yes Thank yeah. you. Thank you for all that. And um, I applaud you for, for, for everything that you're doing with, with that, because I think that's important. Um, and kind of going back to what you were saying about how you're still a student of Christianity, even after sort of a, an exit from the, um, the sort of rigid 
uh, adherence to 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 the belief system. I I experienced the same thing because once I left uh, my faith, I there was less baggage and pressure to mm. justify everything, yes. and so I was able to uh, read the text and look at it in a different from in a different lens without needing to feel like I need to make sense or explain something that I don't understand it, it, because that's if you if you come to a faith with and and your and and it's all it's more answers than it is questions then I think that you're doing it wrong <laughs> and, yes. and and yeah. I think that's what that's what it what a lot of Christianity is is that it is transactional it's like I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my savior. My savior sends me to heaven. I'm going to heaven. And and that's and that's the evangelical part is that you need to convince other people that they're sinners and they're going to hell. And right. that's sort of the opposite of of what I feel like the um loving and embracing people is it, it with parts of Christianity where it's just about telling everybody they're wrong because you have the right answer and everybody else has the wrong answer. Right. Right. And, and so now there is a, a freedom that came from a rejection of, uh, this orthodoxy that I was, that was pounded into my head that like I needed to believe the right way of thinking. Yeah. And, and so now outside of that, I can be like, I can pick up the Bible and not have, have this stress of of everything contained within that I need to justify and 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 instead like be able to say I don't know I don't know <laughs> right, I don't know right. yeah. the the ability to say I don't know is has it was like one of the most freeing things yes because yes. people would say to me like as a Christian how can you explain X Y or Z and to try and do the mental gymnastics to to make sense of something versus just being able to say, I don't know, I'm not sure. Right, right. It's it's so weird because like even by the Protestant evangelical standards, I feel like you're you're still creating a, a this idolatry of of rightness. You're creating an idol of rightness, mm. in which you are constantly worshiping this idol of I have to be right, I have to be. And like they have all of these different. I mean, I grew up in that, where it was like you, if you're not able to defend your faith, then yeah. you, you know, do we need to quote James again? You know, faith <laughs> without works. It just like, yeah. and I, I, I was enrolled in classes as a teenager. I took them willingly, like at my church when they would they would host classes. You know, trying to go through whatever new uh, book that like Chuck Colson was hawking at the time. Like trying to get, trying to give Christians an ability to defend their faith. And now like looking back on all of that, I'm like, I, this, this is the biggest like load of horse shit <laughs> I think I've ever encountered because I feel like that religion and spirituality and the pursuit of spirituality and the practice of religions are intended to elevate people. People don't need like, lists of do's and don'ts or a right thing to believe or a wrong thing to believe they need a way to like figure out how to be in touch with themselves enough to like to battle addiction and to battle like 
relational things that happen in their life, to have an understanding of what their ego is and what their ego is doing. To, to, they need an avenue to marvel at the miracle of consciousness and how much we know so little about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like we're living in this amazing, massive miracle happening all around us. And for some reason, our egos want to bottleneck this whole like miracle of existence into we're existing correctly and you're not existing correctly. Yeah, and right. Somehow this is going to pay off at the end for, for a small percentage of us and the rest of you guys can go <laughs> fuck yourselves. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound very gospel Right. I mean, it just doesn't sound anything like what you would hear someone like Jesus saying in the Bible. I don't, I don't totally. know. I, I, I seem to remember Jesus telling a lot of people to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> In the I mean, most Jewish way possible. Yeah, yeah, he's just like I. Yeah, the closest, the closest I think Jesus got to telling people to go fuck themselves was not your everyday people. It was you know people, was the religious people of the day. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. The people of power in the day who were yeah. and he the, called the, them the, uh, a brood of vipers, which is basically like go fuck yourself. So <laughs> yeah, that is that is. <laughs> Yeah, that is, or yeah, you know, that is like the first century way of telling people to go fuck themselves. Hey, hey, you brood of vipers! Hey, right. Hey, uh, we have to remember this was before anti venom, so brood of vipers was a pretty potent. Yeah, that's true. Allegory. It's a sick burn. Right. Um. Yeah that that's awesome. I I love that. You know, I know that. Um over the course of a Levity life, like you experienced many aspects of how Christianity plays itself out um, in America, in, in business, in the music industry. Um, and I think it's a really cool thing that sort of the point that you're at with your, you know, your career, whether you even want to call it like a calling to like use that experience to create this platform, to have these kind of discussions. I think that's so valuable. And I think a lot of what, um, you know, folks who listen to our show love MXPX and Five Iron and going through that stuff. But I think that the bigger thing is about like having this place to discuss the shared experience and how it screwed us up in some ways and and how it was meaningful for us in other ways. So I don't know. I just think there's a lot of value in creating that that space for these kind that of is, That is so, so kind of you. Um, but I think what you guys are doing is really cool as well in in that like who would have guessed that all of a sudden like these two bands, cause all of my, like everybody that I'm friends with now and that I oftentimes end up becoming friends with even in adulthood, like MXPX and Five Iron are, were absolutely these like cultural touchstones. And even like within Christianity at the time, like I, I remember listening to some Five Iron records and be like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like this, where, like, where is he? Where, what has he experienced? Where have they experienced to cause them to be viewing the world in this, in this different way or kicking the tires on, yeah. on the theology that everyone's presented with. And yep. I love, I love that. And not to like, love it. I'm not trying to, to like butter their bread too much or anything. Cause I, I don't know if anybody's like super, uh can take credit for any of this i think a lot of it's just kind of like right place right time Mm. but yeah it is kind of odd how those two bands both are still kind of homing beacons for people like us who have had that similar experience and who are like kind of like coming out of the haze or the fog um and like trying to figure out what the hell's actually going on (laughs) yeah yeah one thing that Andrew and I talk about a lot is like 
I think a lot of the reason why those were two of our favorite bands were they they felt like they were giving us permission, I'd say especially with Five Irons lyrics, to question the church and to question society. And it felt like, oh, if you're if you're questioning it from within this bubble, it makes us feel more okay about questioning it, like we're not as alone. Um, and it's been really cool to to kind of go through all that stuff again that kind of like shaped our understanding of social justice and our worldview in a lot of ways, like pouring yeah. through these records again. Cause yeah, at the time it was, it was kind of eye opening and, and helped us see things that maybe we wouldn't have seen. And I, I know that we look back and appreciate that these are bands that were not just going with the norm, but we're kind of encouraging <laughs> yeah. questioning. So yeah. anyway, I, I remember having this, uh, this experience. I can relate this exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to just like try to try to keep in with the, the five iron mxpx thing <laughs> sure. oh, if that's Appreciate helpful it. that's great um, <laughs> whatever you want to do i remember like when we first got signed and Flickr came to us and they were like hey we want to put you on tour with this band called super chick i don't know if you guys remember that band or not mm-hmm. yes um but that was like our first big tour like up until then we had just been doing like our own shows we were basically playing with heavy metal bands in like north carolina and tennessee um and so we ended up like getting this opportunity to go tour with them. And I remember like the first couple of days that we were on tour, like I met the sound guy, I met the tour manager. We were in completely over our heads. We had no idea like how to make money on tour that we should have like bought a bunch of merch to sell. It was just like, nobody explained any of that to us, like how to survive and like live on the road. Mm-hmm. And we were the only band that didn't have a tour bus to tour on. So they were doing these like humongous drives across the country at the time. And we were like doing our shows, doing all the meet and greets and stuff. And then at the end of that, tearing all of our shit down, loading up the van and then making the drives ourselves. Um, and it was, it was like a wake up call. I remember yeah. when the, the first show that we played with them, um, I got on, we are sorry. We all got on stage and did our sound check and everything. And then when the show started, we were the first band to come out. And when we came out, I just remember like remembering what sound check felt like. And this felt like something totally different. Like when we got out on stage, I felt like the PA wasn't even on. Mm. And I was just like screaming into this microphone, like trying to be loud enough. And in the middle of this like song that we were playing, all of a sudden, like I start hearing Blue Mix by Five Iron. Uh, yeah. In my mind, and yeah. I was like, fuck, that's what this song is about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was to- going to, I was going to ask if that's yes. what it was. Yeah. I totally I was the same got thing. it. I was just like, oh my God. And it somehow gave me context where like, oh, we're being bent over right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then that ended up happening. For, I mean, I don't even, nobody gives a shit about any of this stuff anymore. So I'm just like, I, I feel maybe more candid than I should be about it. But sure. there was absolutely like, they, they wanted to do price matching and stuff. We were like, we were making no money on this tour. Like we were like, can we, we, can we please sell our t-shirts for like $5 less than you guys are selling them? Like, this is what we normally charge. We're not trying to turn a massive profit or anything. And they're like, no, you can't compete with us. Like everybody has to sell like equal merchandise at the same price. And also we take a cut of it and sometimes we're not the only people taking a cut of it. Sometimes the venue also takes a cut of it. It was just like mind blowing to us because at the time we thought, Oh God, we're all on the same team, right? Like we have this 
this message or this attitude of like hope and inclusivity and aren't we really pointing people to the gospel at the end of all of this? And like, isn't that the real thing? And capitalism, baby. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's none of that. It's capitalism. It's business. It's like people are making money. This is not about what you thought it was about. And it's definitely no different than just the secular music industry. Everybody's just trying to make money and take advantage of the little guy. I mean, that is unequivocally what was happening. Like some of the biggest names in Christian music were blue mixing, you know, their contemporaries, you know? And it's just like, absolutely. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck all the way off. Well, and it would have been like, I actually, I I would save a few of those fucks. If it were, if it were just that, if, if we had gone into it and people were like, look, this is the music industry. You fight and you scrap and you have to do your thing. And if you do it well enough, you succeed. And it's not for everybody. But the fact that like they had all of this religious like boo and like toxic thinking like woven in through it, it just made it, it made it feel so icky and it made us feel like oh well actually now our conscience is being violated like this doesn't actually feel right right yeah that's such the kind of thing that lends itself to spiritual abuse and trauma because when you're wrapping up this thing uh that is going to end up being negative for you and couching it in this you know justifying it with this religious terminology it's just like designed to abuse you with that kind of theology. I mean, when you were, when you guys were first signed, what was sort of the, I mean, was it like a partner with us in spreading the gospel type conversation or was it like more (laughs) business focused than that? Or how did they kind of present it to you? Well, the guys that signed us were audio adrenaline. Right. So that, that's a complicated question because I think that on the one hand they were, doing their best to kind of tell us what was going to happen and th- that this was a business. Sure. But we're also like teenagers who don't understand any of that yeah. and don't, can't even afford like a lawyer to explain it to us. And in their defense, I feel like audio drilling is one of those bands that like, as much as I love them and I still like, I still love their records and Mark and Will were nicer to us than anybody else in the entire music industry ever has been. So to mm-hmm. their credit, like that, I'll always have that memory of them. They're, they're, I feel like they're also like, if there's a Kool-Aid to drink about the music, the Christian music industry, I mean, they were like in it. You know what I mean? Sure. That was very much like their platform was like, we're spreading the gospel. Like our whole band is here to spread the gospel. And they weren't um, secretive about that. And, and maybe aren't, now i i don't know I, it's been so long since we've like hung out or anything so but i don't think that they would feel weird about me saying that um sure. that they definitely i feel like we're trying to to do business and religion at the same time sure yeah, yeah. i just wondered about that cuz i feel like that conversation you know in the early 2000s was probably a different conversation than it is now where like I, I don't know. I mean, you can speak to this more than we know, but like I, f- I would imagine that the sort of Christian music scene as it once existed is more about promoting sort of more, you know, CCM type worship music today. And that, you know, folks who would identify as Christian bands are maybe doing their own thing more independently. I don't know. It, it seems today like it's less of a, 
of a focus on making it big and and getting a huge signing deal because i imagine that's like less possible (laughs) but i could be wrong maybe that's still as much a thing now as it was then it's on the back of a message it's on the back of a platform it's not you know like the christian music industry and maybe even like the the pop music industry at large isn't necessarily something that is going to reward intellectual inquiry or artistic endeavor sure there to sell a product and when you're selling a product to christians you know, you whittle it down to this lowest common denominator sort of ideology that most uh, white Protestant Christians are willing to spend money on. Right. And then you, write, then you modify your art to reach that audience. And for anybody that like doesn't believe that, like I've, I've experienced it, all of my friends and I have experienced this, like being in writer's rooms with people and like, hey, I have this cool idea for a song. And then all of a sudden like Toby Mac shows up and he's like, yeah, but can we make it about Christ? Uh-huh. <laughs> it actually happened. <laughs> um, oh, man. And it was just like, I, whatever game you're playing, like I get why you're playing it. Cause it, you have become very wealthy from this. Right. But you're talking to, you're literally talking to bands who are existing within the poverty line. Yeah. And you're selling them this bill of goods, you know, it's almost like mirrors the government in some way <laughs> mm-hmm. or in some ways, like you're telling us that if we, that not only is this like the right move spiritually, but it's a good business move to double down on these religious beliefs right. and to like reinforce this dogma. Um, I mean, yeah. does, does Toby Mac think that, bet- that, between tracks three and five, if he doesn't talk about Jesus on track four, that they're going to forget he's a Christian or something. Like, if this isn't a revolutionary idea, that's like, oh, Jesus in the song. I didn't think about that. That's great, Toby. Thanks you know, for that. I don't, I don't get the impression, at least, and I've, I'm not a shit talker. I'm like not trying to like shit talk anybody. But I, in my experience, I didn't get the impression that he would, delineate a line between the two i think that for us it felt like exploitation Mm -hmm. and for him it very much felt like zealousness Mm -hmm. like i'm I'm holding this and and i remember like trying to have this conversation we're like yeah but for you your zealousness made you very wealthy and for me my zealousness is is not in propping up an agenda it's in questioning the agenda Mm -hmm. and so i can't do what you're doing i'm never going to experience that kind of success like in this platform and our band is not going to experience that kind of success in this platform because we don't give a shit (laughs) and like and we can't just all of a sudden make ourselves give shit (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) yeah that's 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 you know you couldn't toby mac and uh Kevin Max couldn't be more different in the way mm. they <laughs> approach making art. Because, sure. <laughs> like, we, t- we Kevin, talk about Kevin Max all the time on the we, pod, but are you sort of do. aware of where he's at these days? I'm, I'm not. All, all that I know of Kevin, like, we've played a bunch of shows with him throughout the years, like a bunch of festivals and stuff. So, like, we would kind of run into him, but it was always in like a really weird awkward thing where like we're both reaching for the shrimp at the same time <laughs> you know like classic shrimp reach yeah so it just 
Yeah, I I don't know enough about enough about him to like weigh in on it, but I'm interested. You should you should check out his recent albums because they're they're very beepy boop. Oh man! Uh, Oh man! Really? His last two his last two albums. Yeah, his last two albums, Romeo Drive, and uh, he just came out with one like I don't know, maybe like a month ago, and it's and it's weird and it's like almost in some time in some ways it's like a lot of it is spoken word and it poetry and it's more uh it's almost like more about the poetry than it is about trying to write bangers you know but right. he's also like a socialist now and talks about that a lot and yeah he's, oh right okay. that dude has been on a journey that's all that's all I'm saying. Yeah. anyway <laughs> um, we're, here, we're here for the journey yeah um get him on the pod um we that that kind of reminded me, you know, I, I don't know, Andrew, if there was something that you wanted to, to ask along those that line of questions, but like, you know, when you were talking about knowing Five Iron growing up and like appreciating them and thinking of Lumix and all these things, and then eventually like working with those guys, how did that kind of come to be? I mean, I know that Fast Feeling sort of had its roots originally in Pool Party Death Machine. <laughs> How um, do you guys know all this shit? <laughs> we, we come prepared. Um, <laughs> but how did, how did that happen? Like, how did you get connected with Reese and how did that kind of conversation start? Um, so Reese and I met at a, a festival. I think it was called Soul Fest. It was like yeah. up in New England or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool festival. Um, Sort of. Now that I'm now that I'm remembering that festival, I was like <laughs> doing some shit that went down there too. Um, but like, I, Five Iron had broken up at the time, and I think Reese was like emceeing a stage and doing like maybe some songs and stuff with friends. Okay. Maybe anyway, I it, I should speak more confidently about this, and it'd be a, a more interesting story. <laughs> but somehow, like Reese and I ended up meeting backstage and. We like, I don't remember the conversation, like clearly between the two of us was probably one of the most awkward uh, (laughs) intros of all time, but it was like, I loved all of his stuff growing up. um, And I thought that his artistic output was cool. Um, And I I think I might've expressed that to some degree. We just kind of started talking together, realized that we were both into this band called The Faint. Yeah. and I still am like a huge fan of that band, but we're just, I would think we've always been kind of like drawn towards broody electronic kind of stuff. Hell yeah. And so he, um, we, I, th- I think we just like, just off the cuff, we're like, hey, we should start a new wave band. And we were both like on board with it, but you'd like everybody bullshits in the green room. So you never know like how serious anybody's being about right. it. Right. Well, then like, Fast forward three years after that conversation with them, um, we start emailing again, just kind of catching up and uh, start swapping demos. You should actually talk to Reese about this because he might have a different version of this story. Um, But we started like emailing demos back and forth. We're like, hey, let's do this thing. Uh, Let's call it Pool Party Death Machine. And so we just started going back and forth with demos that we were creating then halfway through that he was like hey so there's this guy scott i don't know if you know about scott or not (laughs) i was like no he was like well 
I th- really want to bring Scott on to like kind of help write some of this stuff. I feel like we'll get it done quicker if we bring him on. He's like a really great co-collaborator of mine and it's really great. So Reese and Scott end up coming to Black Mountain where I was living at the time in North Carolina and like working on the record in earnest. Um, and Scott and I like hit it off so, so well. I love Scott so much. Like he has such an incredible musical mind. Um, and he's like, okay. yeah, he's, a, he's okay. My, uh, <laughs> he's, he's fine. Yeah. Um, he but, said a very, very similar thing about you when he was on our show. So, Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah, but he's, he's amazing. And he, the way that he thinks about music is so different than the way I would think about it. And so I was drawn to what he was doing creatively because I'm like, oh, my brain doesn't work that way. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and we just kind of started doing that. Um, I don't know. Did you guys talk to Reese and Scott about Pool Party already? We talked we a talked little bit about vaguely it. about it. Um, I think what Reese had said the first time was like he really liked the synthy stuff that you were doing and wanted to do something along those lines. And he was actually he was on several months ago and talked about basic glitches and we hadn't heard it at that point. And he was like, "You have to listen to it; it rules." And he was definitely right about that. Um, but I think he was just kind of saying that that's where it started. That he knew he liked your guys' sound and wanted to work with you. But I, we didn't really get into the weeds, right? Yeah, no, we we didn't get into the weeds. But all okay. I remember is that he was talking about uh, uh, you know his his obsession with ELO and yes, other yeah. other bleepy bloopy kinds of stuff that he was into and. And yeah. I think that's kind of that's kind of where it was stemming from. And yeah, that's that's true. We both have a Jeff Lynn obsession, um, and we're, we're super into ELO for sure. So we I, I, we ended up getting about halfway through this record, um, and then I'm not entirely sure what happened. Like, I love I love Reese. I love Scott. Like, we I it's just something something just happened and we came to a, a this odd creative impasse that kind of took me by surprise and I wasn't huh. really sure like what was going on or why we couldn't get on the same page in time or something. Um, yeah, without like, that was, it was so long ago that that happened. Like it, it's hard to even sure. remember the details of all of that, but for whatever reason, it just kind of fell apart. Um, and I was really bummed about that because I was really proud of the stuff that we were doing. I thought it was super cool and was really looking forward to like kind of releasing it. But also at the same time, I was like, you know, I, I knew that they had creative energies that I would have loved to see, like to have seen like put into a, another five iron record or some other like creative thing. Um, and so I was also aware of that too, where it's like all of us have bands that are doing better than this startup band that we don't know how well it's going to do. Right. So where do our creative energies end up going? And I feel like they just kind of ended up meandering back to our own stuff. But then like, I don't know, a year after that fizzled, Scott started sending me demos that he and Leonor and Andy were working on. And I was like, dude, this is really cool. I mean, I'm always going to say that about stuff Scott sends me, but, um, yeah, I was like, this well, because is- typically it is going to be very cool because the the dude is a songwriting melody genius. That guy yes. can just like 
absolutely crank out songs like nobody's business yeah he's he's amazing and so i was like hey what if you tried i essentially like heard it and i wanted it to be a little more pop accessible (laughs) i was like what if we what if we did this or what if we kind of put some some bleeps and bloops in it um and he he really dug that idea and one thing led to another and i feel like we're like yeah let's uh let's do it so I ended up going out to Colorado a few times to like finish up the record and track Leonor's vocals and um, like vocalists are, are kind of weird to work with. I, I say that as a vocalist who's weird to work with. Uh-huh. Um, but like I, because I've had so many like awful experiences with engineers and producers in the past, I feel like I try really hard to be sensitive to that kind of stuff and to create a really fun, cool environment for people to track in. Um, cause I didn't have that. Like I would just have a mental m- emotional meltdowns in the studio when I had to do vocals. <laughs> uh, it just like brought up all of this shit for some reason, you know, in that moment, it probably freaked all the producers out and everything. I should apologize for that. I'm going to look them up after this podcast and apologize <laughs> uh, for throwing them a curveball like that. Um, but yeah, I just love working with vocalists and hearing like people surprise themselves with what they're able to come up with and so i think Leonor and i just kind of like hit it off and she's rad as hell too like we had so much fun together making the record it was just like super chill yeah and you know so when we we talked with leonor last week um, and she said the exact opposite (laughs) (laughs) no 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 no. okay No. (laughs) no i mean they everybody that we've talked to has talked about how this was an extremely, extremely collaborative process. Um, yes. But that also, um, uh, some of the pool party death machine songs ended up becoming fast feeling songs. Oh, that's very true. That's very so, true. Until it's gone. Um, Sunnydale heartbeat. Uh, these were, um, originally Pool Party Death Machine song. So that stuff that you had worked on did end up seeing the light of day just in maybe a way that you weren't completely expecting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, totally different energy and vibe. But I, I, th- I think that they're a really cool idea. Like, I'm super, I'm super proud of that record. Um, I love that whole experience. I lo- especially love being able to work with Scott. Like, it was the first time that I had met Andy um and now Andy and I are are pretty cool like yeah I don't know I think I think you're just like always trying to give people their own artistic space like you also have to think about it in terms of like I've only ever been in 11d and like side projects and stuff and most of the time when I'm in side projects I'm like creatively in charge of all of them so like coming into the whole five iron dynamic was kind of like entering into like <laughs> lost at season five and trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with everybody. <laughs> um, Cause yeah. everybody has these like histories and their own like neuroses uh, about each other and you know, their own ways of kind of coping and hanging out with each other. And so you're, and it's like that in every band. Um, and so I think that that was, that was fun. <laughs> that was interesting to kind of see like people that had been in a band for over a decade 
and they just kind of had this this wave that you kind of had to either catch or not. Right. Uh, so yeah, so you I mean you talked about how you loved working with Scott. Scott talked about how he loved working with you. I mean, it almost sounds like <laughs> it almost sounds like you guys should like, I don't know, collaborate on something again. I don't know, just just throwing that out there. I'm sure, you know, if you asked him to the prom, he'd say yes. <laughs> if he asked me, I know I would say yes. Um, and I have the dress already picked out. Um, no, I, I think like Scott and I, we, I feel like we still have this relationship where we share demos with each other and he sent me like stuff that he's working on. I think like in a perfect world, I would love to just like hang out with Scott 24 seven and we just like make records and then, you know, everybody becomes rich and famous and, you know, <laughs> can provide for their families and like, it just works out that way. Um, Sounds like a way better timeline than we're living in right now. Yeah. So much better. Um, but I just, I get, as soon as I have like a free time to connect with Scott and we start thinking about demos, all of a sudden, like I'll have a bunch of projects come in at one time that I you know, have to mix for a band or like a producing project or something um, or like an 11 D release will happen. And so I think we're just, if we could ever get on the same page and it was just like the right time. I, yeah. That's like one of the highlights of my musical career is finding people like Scott that are so fun and talented to work with and who are just a wellspring of ideas. Cause I'm, I definitely love working with people that come in with ideas. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, when Lena was on, she kind of talked about not expecting, well, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like maybe there are different ideas within the band about what would happen with the band, like what the, long-term goals were for like, was it a record? Was it ever the idea to, to play shows or to go out with it? Like, so when you came in, were you just kind of going along with whatever happened or were you hoping that that might become its own thing? Or was it like, we'll just try it out and see what happens. I, I was just, I feel like I was there to, to make art that we were proud of. That's like yeah, that's almost always my great my my greatest goal when I come into a situation like that. So like I wasn't thinking about touring maybe as much. Like Leonor thrives on social activity and being in front of people and like loves it. Yeah. Um and I love it, but I'm drained by it. And so yeah. I think that I of course, you know, I'm more attracted to the creative uh output of things that like is more studio centric and more like let's explore our thoughts uh-huh. you know and our inner feelings and desires um and she's very much like no let's rock <laughs> <laughs> give me a mic let's do yeah. something with it yeah, yeah so yeah. but yeah I, I, there's definitely a point in time where we were talking about what would a show look like or right. what would like a long weekend run or something look like and i, I was just like yeah i mean if if it if that idea keeps picking up steam within the group. I'm happy to ride the wave, but if it doesn't, I'm also happy to just like do this. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean that it kind of, for me, I'm just curious about, you know, one of the things everybody's kind of talked about um, who got to be a part of fast feeling was like the, the sort of difficulty maybe compared to the five iron experience 
of transferring that to a live experience. So like when you're doing 11 stuff, does that enter your brain about how that will transfer live or because it's so synth and programming based, are you imagining that it'll be able to translate more easily than maybe folks who are playing mainly, you know, guitars and stuff uh, would typically do a show. Does that question make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like when we were doing 11 D and everything, like there, there's nothing like having a couple of stacks behind you and like strumming a power chord and like sure. feeling that lock in with the bass and like, Oh, oh my yeah. God, my butthole's rumbling. Um, <laughs> like, it's that's cool. Um, I think, I think by the time that like 11 D starts kind of moving in definitely a, like a more electronic kind of situation, we're just only, we're just making a conscious effort that we're only going to play rooms that, that have a PA that can do that. Sure. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like volume. I don't think was like a, an issue for us. It's a totally different experience, but I think I, I had spent so much of my like early twenties, like on stage after stage after festival after festival it's like i know what this feels like like we can you know we're not going to be casting crowns we're not going to be like a, the biggest christian music thing in the world if anything you know we're gonna just like set fire to all the shit and <laughs> just leave it entirely mm-hmm. which is kind of what we did um but i was just like it doesn't doesn't matter i just want to make the art that i want to make but like having said that when I'm writing and stuff in the studio, there are definitely times where I'm writing because I, I catch a vibe for what something could feel like in a live setting sure. and thinking about having an audience there while I'm programming or writing something helps inform sure. like, the writing process to some degree. Because if it's just like your own internal energy that's exciting you, like that's not always the coolest thing. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I think part like I was all psyched up on like fast feeling needs to play shows. Like let's make a tour happen or something. And like, I feel like the response has kind of been like, well, it's not, it's hard to <laughs> translate that stuff to a live show. Yeah. But I wonder if for something like 11 D is it easier to transfer that sound to a show because you're so used to the setup of, you know, programming and stuff like, is I mean, it, it, yeah. When I think about the fast feeling, like I know exactly how to make that work live. Okay. Okay. That's but what then, I wanted to hear. It's yeah. possible. <laughs> but then like all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, then Scott and I are kind of looking at each other like, well, do you want to play guitar? Well, do right, you want right, to play right. bass? Or like we would do, okay, well, so what are we, I don't know. It sure. sounds like a, it sounds like a dumb thing to even think about, but like, no, I, know what I you mean. remember yeah. having those conversations where it's like, so do you want to play keys and guitar or do you want to be relegated to bass or do you want to like pull double duty or like we just got way into the we i feel like scott and i are definitely like details oriented people and maybe sometimes can't see the Mm -hmm. forest for the trees Mm -hmm. Um, that's interesting um i want to talk about your earlier stuff here for a second um oh god so (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I just want to, I want to say like, so your earlier records are, are, are like decidedly more pop punk than your more recent records. And, and the songs Cookie and Battle Cats off Basic Glitches, uh, at least from my interpretation, appear to be sort of um, middle fingers to your detractors uh, who like disingenuously would bemoan you leaving the punk scene when you never fully felt welcome in the punk scene. Um and so was there a moment when you decided to embrace 
the beep boop sound and just said, fuck the chads and punks. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the chads and punks. That's actually the name of the B-Sides EP coming out. (laughs) Um, Thank you for that, Andrew. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, That's that one's free. Yeah. I, I think it just, I think along with my, like, I think, well, what am I trying to say? I think I'm trying to say that my musical output has in a lot of ways kind of mirrored like what my spiritual journey has been like in that, you know, when younger 11 is trying so hard to just like keep up with these pop punk bands that we grew up with and like trying to make Mm. something that we feel like is as good as that. And I feel like as we get older, as like my my faith starts changing, as I start like leaving Christianity and like forming my own idea of like what the kind of person I want to be, the kind of beliefs I want to have and how inclusive I want those to be. um, It also just kind of comes along with this kind of like fuck it attitude with, mm-hmm. with the music that I make. And so it's like, I'm just looking for something that stimulates me in some way. So like when I'm writing a song, I, I love pop music. So I'm always trying to like make cool hooks or make cool sounds or make things that are danceable or fun or memorable for people to engage with and be a part of. And at the same time that I feel like our songs have gotten progressively goofier in some ways and then also like way maybe too intense (laughs) in other ways like there's i think just over the past three or four years i've just had so many like things happen in my life that have become catalyst for me doubling down on who i want to be and what i want to do and what i want and the kind of art that i want to put out into the world and i kind of don't care if people like it or not because i've come to this point where i'm so proud of what i do and what i'm doing and proud of what i'm saying regardless of how ridiculous or fucked up it is that it makes me happy and like all Mm -hmm. of a sudden have this ability within myself to make me happy um and i'm going to keep following that for all intents and purposes, I think, because I, I think when people see that you can be happy and that you figured out how to, how to be happy through creative output, that it's empowering for other people to, Mm. to, I don't know, to, to pursue, I don't know, a more, a more enriching creative outlet. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I love how far the synth sound is pushed on both the last 11 and the last jelly rocks record. Like, I just feel like, I mean, we talk about bleeps and bloops all the time on this pod. And so when we heard the line, like never made it in the punk rock crowd, beep, boop, just a little too loud. I was like, uh, I'm so on board for this direction. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Is that, something I think, that- I think I, th- I just want to say that, um, I love so many of the lyrics on <laughs> on this record, but the I beat boop just a little too loud. I th- that that line I think might be like in my top three of the favorite lines on the record. It's just so <laughs> it's just so, so fucking great. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I I 100% affirm the like hard push into like super synthy. Um, was there, you know, when you were approaching, because I'm imagining like, okay, so Fast Feeling would have been like roughly around the time of Rad Science too, or maybe Rad Science comes a little bit after that. Yeah, I think Rad Science might have been like a year and a half okay. after that, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So when when you were approaching that material, like, I mean, just, okay, so Jelly Rocks, was that sort of, you're thinking like, this will be my sort of more electropop focused? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, but it, yeah. yeah. So at this point, is it like, that just was enveloped into Eleven D though, because it seems like a lot of that sound at this point is like kind of pushing in the same direction. I think I just like quit worrying about what Eleven D sure. was going to be and just kind of let it be its own thing. Like it, in all honesty, you know, like the the Rad Science record. Like I, I wrote the Rad Science record when I was a professor in college, like teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, audio production and music business and stuff. And there were so many like weird ass things happening with that college at the time that were like, okay, I'm going to have to make a stand for, I have to make like a very public stand about what I think and what I believe and how fucked up I think that this situation is getting. Uh, People can like listen to our podcast if they want to find out more information about that. I don't want to like derail the conversation, but we literally were like calling friends of ours you know because we were like hey maybe we'll go do some shows maybe we'll do a tour or something but like we're not trying to to make this the most lucrative thing in the world let's just have fun let's just like get together all of our like friends and stuff that you know we would want to share the stage with and at that time like everybody started having kids or (laughs) like or taking jobs as worship pastors in churches Uh um and so it just like, it became so difficult to wrangle an entire band to get together and make like a rad science thing happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just started thinking about, well, can Davey and I do this ourselves? Like, do we really need all of the other stuff? Or can I just kind of lean into the electro thing and just start thinking about how to program a set that like feels really good in front of a crowd? where we don't have to have a drummer or guitar players or like, you know, constantly just like running around and like spitting and sweating on people. Like, can we just create a totally different experience that we're really into and that we feel like other people would enjoy? Yeah. So yeah, just leaned into it, I guess. Does that mean that Jelly Rocks is sort of on hold or that's just where your sort of solo impulses will go? That's where it'll be more reserved for um i don't know sure i've like been doing this long enough to know that i just i don't know how i'm gonna feel in a month or what opportunities are going to present themselves in a month yeah um i i've tried to i I don't know there's something about the jelly rock stuff feels like kind of experimental to me like a a a learning ground Mm. for other stuff and so i'm trying stuff with that that i wouldn't normally in other situations but but then like basic glitches comes out and it ju- it sounds like just a really tough jelly rocks record to me. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that maybe there's just an inevitable like synth 
sound right. is going to happen one way or the other. <laughs> Inevitable synths uh, right. is, is the best direction. It's kind of <laughs> like when, um, so David Bazan started Headphones, you know, which was like oh, his yeah. more electronic bass band. And then they broke up and I was like, no, the synths. But then his solo stuff just kind of folded in the synth sound into it. So yeah. I was like, all right, it all worked out. <laughs> um, no, the synths. But the synths, Dang. bro. That was one um, of the last like actual compact discs that I bought was that, yeah. that headphones record. And then some friends of mine, because I, I, I sometimes I get distracted and like don't pay attention to stuff. I'm a huge Dave Bazan and Pedro fan. Uh, and a couple of years after it came out, some friends turned me on to Curse Your Branches. Yeah. That became like one of my favorite albums of all time, like yeah. in one car ride. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, by the time I was done listening to that record, I was like, I don't know whether to like cry or like tell everyone to fuck off or <laughs> like or if I need to like go pray. But who am I praying to? Like, I don't like what I'm so confused right now on every level of my being. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thank Dave for that. <laughs> totally. I feel like there's a there's an analogy here of like jelly rocks is to headphones as curse your branches is to basic glitches like i feel like mm. basic glitches and curse your branches are sort of like siblings in a way um where it's I, like exp- i'm not deserving of that <laughs> well all, but it's very kind of you to say i mean like maybe not sonically necessarily although there's some of that there there's definitely bloops and bloops on on curse your branches um but just more in terms of like that being a statement on where your faith has come and like using past production experiments to envelop it into your sort of main thing. So that kind of leads me to, I mean, how did you decide was deciding on sort of a theme for basic glitches and I don't want to make it too trite to say like the theme of the album is sort of about leaving your faith. Um, It might be more complicated than that, but like that is certainly a through line. Um, did you decide first that you were going to record write a record about that and that the the sounds that you were working toward would be like a good companion for that or was it more just organic and thematically and sonically those were that's where your head was at i think i just i think i had left what i would what i would call my faith uh, you know probably years before that and okay. i was just now like having the bandwidth to unpack all of that. So the, I feel like basic glitches is a, is a probably a more accurate like insight into how I see myself or what I know of myself after being here on the planet for 34 years. Hmm. And that like, I, I can be very manic and I swing very hard from like one side of the spectrum to the next, um, especially like mentally and emotionally. So a lot of basic glitches is me. Um, I had like entered therapy about a year before I started writing that record. And a lot of the lyrics and thoughts and songs on that record come from like notes that I took in therapy sessions um, with a counselor. And so I would just like pull, cause I would just leave all of these counseling sessions. Like I got to the point where I was self-conscious about going to counseling sessions because I didn't know what it was. But like when I was there, I just lost it. I just Mm. started having all of these like breakdowns and becoming embarrassed that like I couldn't keep my shit together Mm. anytime that I was there. And so that even that was like, why, why, 
why am I doing this? Like, why does my body feel like it's okay to do that in this setting? Or what is it that I'm not exploring? Or what is it that's bubbling up here that I don't have words for? And so the songs are me kind of like figuring a lot of what that, figuring out a lot of what that was. And then I'll just get way too into the weeds with that, you know, to like the super depressive traumatic shit. And then I'll have to like write something like cookie <laughs> or, or battle cats, like to kind of come out of it and remind myself that like, Oh, life is beautiful. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you're able to experience so much joy now because you experienced all these different types of suffering mm-hmm. and you can be grateful and thankful for that suffering and you can have a good relationship with it. You just have to decide what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, is that too much or is that? No, no that's great. No, that makes that's, total sense. I'm, I mean, I, I wanted to talk about some of the lyrics um, and to whatever degree you are, you know, I know that a lot of songwriters don't like necessarily being like, can you explain what the song means, please? But like, when you say back uh, that ass up, what's the, what do you mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a that's a very nuanced uh, lyric. Back that ass up. It's the existential question. Every yeah. time. If the Won't ass, you back that ass up? if the ass backs up, then mm. what? It's like is the ass anyway. There you um, go. <laughs> Centrifugal force of the ass. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the lyrics uh, to Fear the Fire um, are heartbreaking. And I and there are things that you write that I, I see in my own experience. And um, I wanted, I was curious if you could share anything about about that song and kind of like when you wrote that and kind of like the um, kind of what that song is, is about a little bit. Um, I think I had like just so much anger at so many, like once I came to a place in my life where I was like, I have, I literally have no reason to believe that hell exists. And by all historical accounts and, and my own research and even study into Christianity, like I, I walk away with this overwhelming feeling that like, oh, oh my God, like we, we've been using this <laughs> against people for millennia at this point. Mm. Like I, I have no idea why you would take something as like beautiful of a concept of as grace and love and unconditional acceptance um, and oneness with all things and with each other and that you would throw up a gate of fear to enter into Mm -hmm. that. And that if you don't do it, if you don't adhere to these beliefs and these teachings, if you don't believe the right thing, somehow you literally burn alive for fucking eternity. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was like, I was a depressed child because I lived in chronic fear of mm-hmm. burning alive in hell. Um, yeah. And I just, it was one of the things that I 
started addressing in all these counseling sessions. So I was like, I just have this, like, I know that that's not true now. And I don't have anything in my like grown up brain that like feels threatened by that. If somebody was like, well, you're going to go to hell. I'm like, okay. Um, I'm also going to meet the Pope tomorrow. Um, but it just like a younger part of me is still very scared of that. Yeah. The younger yeah. part of me still has nightmares that I wake up and everything around me is burning. And for the rest of eternity, I will just experience suffering and not just regular suffering, but suffering in a way in which I have never known it, in which it never stops and which I am constantly like crying out and calling out in pain and agony for all of eternity to a God that I somehow was not able to say the magic Harry Potter words to, to get into the right place. Right. Like, so that song kind of came from that. I was yeah. like, just this place of feeling like, no, fuck it. I, I don't, I'm not willing to live under this oppression anymore. And anybody else who is questioning this and wants an out, like, I'm a safe person to talk to about that. <laughs> if that makes, if that makes sense, like, yeah, no, I mean, for sure. And, and I mean, I, I, which is why I was saying that I resonated with this song in, in a lot of ways, a lot of the fear mm. and the shame and not being able to figure out the right combination of words to keep myself from sinning and to keep okay. myself from being able to like be a better Christian and just sort of like the pleading with God to like, like tell me what to do. Help me right. figure this out because I just don't know why I can't yes. stop doing the things that I are, you're telling me I'm not supposed to do. And, and so like the, the, you know, the line that uh, I touched myself brought about the apocalypse, you know, this sort of like, uh, you know, this, you know, uh, all this like, sexual you know immorality and jerking off that i wasn't supposed to be doing but like i had like i had like no ways of like like here are the things that you can't do and you have no outlets and and you're you know you're raging hormones and you can't and you're just like what am i supposed to do god damn it it's just like everything's so frustrating um but yeah there's just like there's there's this combination of like this uh of fear and shame and that's a terrible combination yeah yeah it's i i think i think that's that's the biggest thing is like is calling it what it is which is shame like like what we were saying at the top of the hour like you can't shame people into a better life like you have to open a door and let them walk through that like shame is meant to control and to oppress and it does that to people groups and it does it to, uh, to us emotionally and spiritually the more that we like give into it. So I'm just like, I, all of us got these weird fucked up ideas about sexuality and what was yeah. right and what was wrong when we were growing up. And for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm done feeling shame about those things. I'm happy to talk about it. Like every teenager all over the world right now is thinking about the next time that they can jerk off. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what we need, I mean, to I'm already sort of thinking about it. Right. I mean, 
so it's like try like why aren't we talking about like the miracle of whatever that is like yeah. it's like this weird primal thing that happens within all of us that that gen- ends up generating life and affection like for other people like instead of like confining it to these conversations about pornography because then I, like all sexuality when i was younger got associated with pornography in some way mm. like my parents were not about to tell me how wonderful their sex life was you know what i mean <laughs> or like yeah. have any sort of like open or free conversation with me about the like body positive things or sex positive yeah. things so i spent a huge portion of like my teenage years just feeling like, Oh, well, I'm just not only is Christianity impossible, but if I mm. go to hell for anything, it's probably going to be for jerking off. Right. <laughs> oh my God. So, um, yeah. If, if, yeah. if, if, if the flames were turned up one degree for every time I jerked off as a teenager, Oh man, that would be, yeah, Again, it's so so screwed. It's so weird when you think about like, okay, you have the gospel and what it's distilled down into in like '90s American church is like, if you jerk <laughs> off, jerk. you'll go to hell. Like, what? It's so yeah. weird. Have you? Have, I think I've talked about this on the pod before, but have you seen that image of like, uh, it's so like the first image. It starts up. Starts out with the Earth. And then it like zooms out and you see our solar system and it zooms out. And then you see like our galaxy and then it it just like keeps zooming out and you see like a bigger and bigger picture. And it's like, and then it gets to like the observable universe and you're like, you're so insignificant and microscopic. And the last image is Jesus standing over it all saying, don't masturbate. (laughs) That's yes. A perfect encapsulation. Oh my God. Yes. No, it's exactly that. And John, like exactly what you were saying, like I, I I immediately conjures these images for me of like, you know, three crosses and like Christ in the middle. And like, this is the fever pitch of Christianity where like, you know, the two other guys are, are supposed to be there and he and like Christ says this mind blowing shit to these people that's like to you know to one of them who just acknowledges who he is and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I still have no idea what that looks like, but I look at that at that cross and I think about past, present, mm-hmm. future with Christ being the present, inviting us into that. Mm-hmm. And like and just like the the magnet like how huge of a metaphor that is. You could base 20 Pixar movies off of this <laughs> idea of like sacrifice <laughs> and being present. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're exactly right. And then all of a sudden like this gets, gets condensed down to, all right, teenagers. <laughs> right, right. Don't right. masturbate. Right. Like, yeah. It just seems like such a, like that seems like the real heresy is to condense right. something as miraculous as a story like that down to like sexual control right yeah totally yep Disaster. Yeah. it's almost like uh the point of it was to control women and not to bring people to grace and peace oh um, shit. Hot <laughs> burning it all down people um <laughs> well those were profound thoughts we were exploring but i think it's time that we explored uh the couplet if you're bored with the gryffindor come cuddle with the hufflepuff <laughs> um 
we we are huge Harry Potter fans on the show, and we both are Hufflepuffs. So oh I think, shit! <laughs> I think we need to talk talk puffs for a second here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so my big deal with puffs is that like none of us. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. No, no, that's a brand new sentence. Yeah, my my big deal with puffs is that like none of us are like I was the lead singer in a band, but because out of our group that was like my thing, and I do love being in front of people to some degree. But like we talked about this earlier, like I'm not the guy who's like, all right, give me the mic, we're gonna fuck shit up. Like, I'm like, let's think about what we're going to say, rehearse for years, and then (laughs) play one show. (laughs) Um, So, like, I, the thing that I love about Gryffindors, or maybe that I'm jealous of about Gryffindors, is that, like, I think clearly we are all, like, morally superior and make better life decisions. (laughs) But Gryffindors somehow get way more screen time than we'll ever get. Right. In any of these movies, because they're willing to like to be impulsive in ways that maybe we're not willing to be impulsive. They also, but the, the I, they also seek glory, which is different than than a Hufflepuff. Which is, I feel like, they're okay <laughs> with just like letting things kind of uh, be as they are. They're a little bit more like, but it's the same like. Slytherin and, 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 and Gryffindors are like two sides of the same coin that they both want. They both want glory. They both want a little bit of power. And we just want to cuddle, bro. I just want, I just want to cuddle. And I just, <laughs> and we're also like, how about a little friendship and loyalty? You know, there's nothing that's, that's, that's more, that's more my speed. I don't want the glory. I just want right. to like, I just want to have a conversation with somebody. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like all of this Harry and Ron shit that starts happening, like in the fourth and fifth book, I'm like, okay, Hufflepuffs would have talked this shit out <laughs> yeah, before, right. it, before it like came to the point. Cause you guys are literally fighting over something. You could, you could each utter one sentence and clarify some things yeah. and it would be okay. But the only thing that moves the story along is your inability to communicate. So what a thin mm. premise to even yeah. start with. And why, why am I, why am I getting upset about it? <laughs> no, we, well, we they, hear you. They're just like the, <laughs> you know, they, but as Hermione says, you know, that they have the, the emotional depth of a teaspoon. Mm. And I, th- I think that whether or not that has something to do with the fact that they're 15 year old boys <laughs> or just their, their personalities of being in a Griff, being Gryffindors that just sort of have, they sort of have egos, you know? And yeah. You don't you don't see any of that kind of shit from like <laughs> from like like you, you have I mean like you have you have like uh, the Hufflepuffs you have Ravenclaws you don't have any you don't have Luna Lovegood running around being like getting into arguments about bullshit you know she's right she's like she's like an intellectual she's kind <laughs> and then you have other you know Hufflepuffs that are just like you know it is what it is whatever. Um, yeah. Maybe not the but, most exciting for for moving a plot along, but we would be there to to talk out all the feels for sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I wanted to. <laughs> this is something that's new to me, but I I just I just found this today, and I wanted you to get your thought uh, about a particular Hufflepuff fan theory, um, oh, and wow. that that Hufflepuffs are 
the stoners of Hogwarts. <laughs> I could a hundred percent see this. So, so there, this person is arguing that Hufflepuffs are the stoners of Hogwarts because of their name, Huff and Puff <laughs> and their house, their house ghost is a fat fryer due to all the munchies and professor Sprout the herbologist is the head of house uh, for Hufflepuff. Oh, it's so, so good. It's a good theory so far. <laughs> I mean, I, and also their their house, uh, their house common room is the closest to the kitchen. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're wrong, but they're definitely right. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely. There's something to enjoy about the Huffle Pounds that you put on in the winter. Um, so uh, I, I enjoy that. But the weird thing, like, Luda Lovegood was Ravenclaw, correct? She yeah. was, yes. Yeah, so she, she strikes me as far more of, like, a chronic cannabis user <laughs> than, like, any of the, any of the Hufflepuffs would be. Um, yeah. Oh, Cedric smoked up for sure. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. As as a Hufflepuff, uh-huh. um, I'm like I'm not. I I love I love the idea of weed. I love when my friends are able to partake of that, and I love like gummies and and uh-huh. things. But I'm I'm actually like I don't do super well with weed Let's like when, yeah like when everybody's passing a joint around i'm like uh, look unless you want me to start questioning <laughs> whether or not i can breathe uh like <laughs> in the if you, the if you stop universe, thinking about breathing <laughs> yeah if i stop thinking about breathing i'll die in front of everyone <laughs> we're all fucked i'm telling i'm writing a note right now to my mom to tell her um oh, yeah i just it it's for whatever reason, it's like too too much for me. Like maybe I need to find like my right strain or like the bro. These are literally all sentences Andrew has said to me. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, yes, I'm bros. I'm seriously, yeah. I I there are certain strains of weed that make me paranoid as fuck and <laughs> and i need and i need to find that right because i have had times where i'm just like i have the right thing and i'm like super chill and it's great but then there have been other times where i'm like there are cameras in the walls everybody can see what i'm doing yep. and yep. it's just like that sort of gryffindors that sort of, are listening <laughs> the gryffindors are listening yeah you're all slytherins <laughs> oh man uh, I bet that was more Hufflepuff talk than you expected to have in this conversation, Matt. No, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. It's the right amount. It is exactly the right amount. Yes, the right um, I, I wanted to ask just briefly, like, well, A, I'm just curious. Have you heard of this band, Kite? They are like a Swedish electropop band, um, and nobody knows about them. I went to see them when they toured here a few years ago and nobody was there and it bummed me out because they rule. And I feel like 11D stuff reminds me of, of kite. Um, oh. So anyway, I, uh, I, I'm just putting out a kite, uh, kite love into the universe. Um, but the second part of that question is, is do you have, like, I, I don't really know much about synths in terms of how they are actually, used in practical application but i love the sound of moog i love korgs i mean is do you have a go-to favorite synth these days like whether it's program or actual keyboard um yeah 
So a lot of, um, actually most of the basic glitches record is a Moog sub fatty, okay. a Roland SH-101 and a Roland Juno 106. Um, okay. But like, I, I think I just, I've had those synthesizers for so long and I've gotten so familiar with them. Like they're to the average listener, like nobody's going to hear a difference, but when you like play a bunch of synthesizers, especially the analog ones, it's like, there's this weird thing that happens that I, I try to explain to people, but it never kind of, it always comes across as me being like batshit crazy, but it's like, you can feel especially on the older ones it's almost like you are the thing completing the circuit within it you can almost like feel a hum or a vibration in it when you touch it and so it feels so much more like an instrument that you're playing like when you're strumming a guitar you feel that like vibration within your yourself because you're like you're it's touching your body um and like analog synths just I feel like get the closest to doing that, to being like an actual person with a personality that like you would meet at a bar and be like, let's have a couple drinks. Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> a lot of the software stuff, like it sounds massive and huge and it's like so fun and cool and tight and like punchy, but it just like, it also feels kind of stock. Yeah. That makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Um, this, yeah. if you, uh, have you had, uh, have you had these conversations with Ronnie Martin? Mm. I, I was the biggest Joy Electric fan growing up. He actually, yeah. actually I, could, I could attribute him, like my obsession with analog synthesizers were because he introduced me to them, mm. like through his music. And like, I would read interviews and stuff that he did. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, um, and like you hear about all these people that are like the people that are into Joy Electric are fucking nuts. Like <laughs> I know because I'm one of them. I, I but I would like never went down the rabbit hole. Like it always scared me to go any further down the rabbit hole than I did because people were like, "Yeah, but but it's not. It, but this one synthesizer that he said was analog actually has digitally controlled oscillators instead of like <laughs> just like regular floating ones, like voltage control." Like, and I was like, "Dude." At the end of the day, like people are either making music that you like with these things or they're not. Right. Like getting into the weird nerddom and stuff of it, yeah. I feel is just distracts you from making art. So, but maybe it's for nerds. Like maybe there's some people that just love getting into the tech stuff and not so much like the output. You know, they just they like the specs. Sure. Yeah, but it's just it's also like another way to feel superior, and that feels gross. <laughs> yes that's true it's like because like yeah you might i mean you're technically right but like you and like one other person in the entire world give a shit so yeah it's like congratulations i guess you're right but you're not getting laid and (laughs) nobody (laughs) nobody cares (laughs) outside of this forum that you're on yeah (laughs) yeah no one's no (laughs) no girl has ever been like Tell me more about these oscillating, you know. Are they digital or what? Are they yeah. digital, like floating oscillators? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, what was that? That was the sound of my panties hitting the floor. Oh, shit. Analog panties. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so I ended up uh, buying a Juno, I think it was a 6, 
it was like the super old version of the Juno. And at one point, Ronnie and I were like texting back and forth. This is years ago, like maybe seven or eight years ago. And he ended up buying this Juno 6 from me. Um, and then the, the scent that he bought from me is the one that he ended up making the very last Joy Electric record with. Wow, cool. Um, so, which I thought was kind of cool because I was like, this is like selling a French fry to Ronald McDonald. Like, <laughs> totally. guy clearly can do without, you know, this or like my thing. But it just so happened, like, we just kind of caught each other at the right times. I actually really want to have him on a Levendy Life um, to talk about stuff. But I'm also like, he's so... I think I I think I'm really interested in into why or how he ended up doubling down so hardcore on like theology and becoming a yeah. pastor and like what that looked like for him because he has so many friends you know that ended up in different places in life and yeah um yeah I, I don't know he he seems to have like completely gone into the whole like church startup I'm a pastor and I also am an author on the side kind of thing and i'm just kind of like yeah but just make some more beep boops <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm like so much more interested in that for some reason it's an yeah. interesting trajectory for somebody who like carved out the weirdest corner of the like christian market for a while yes, yes. <laughs> he made being weird okay in that circle right. i feel like totally and also he was like in terms of that era of uh tooth and nail bands uh, and like the BEC and the solid state, like all that era, there was nothing like him. Yeah. So, yeah. and I feel like that was filling a gap in the Christian industry that there was just nobody bleeping and blooping the way Ronnie Martin was. Dude, there's, there's no robot rock. Come on. That oh, album oh rules. Ro- robot rock is so, is so mind blowing. Like Monosynth was my fucking jam when I first heard that. <laughs> the music video was fucking weird. They're like on a yes. giant synth and they're got like yes. the wires and there's like uh, he's like, you know, they're yes. all painted white and stuff. I'm like, what is going on? Dude, I, I was into it. I so Ronnie Martin, I feel like was one of those people that I can't believe I'm saying this on your podcast, but <laughs> Um, I'm a is, this a is this a yeah, is this a is this a sclusi? Like Ronnie Martin was like looked very masculine, but had some very like effeminate qualities to himself. And the music that he made at the time, like felt very effeminate. It was very like whimsical and like yeah, yeah. and I just. For whatever reason, that felt so empowering to me. Mm, yeah. Like at the time, like when I was coming up, because I was like, oh, I I can literally be anything that I want. Like I don't have to fit into this like binary uh or this like gender norm of like I'm a guy, so I must like drop D chords and <laughs> foot rock and, and play yeah. and yeah. And, and I was just like, no, here's this guy who's like clearly incredibly talented and writes amazing, amazing music. And I'm embarrassed to listen to it around my dad because I know he thinks he would, he would be like, it's a guy you say, oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I just, I loved it. 
And I feel like that even to this day still, like that was definitely like a formative thing for me was just his personality, his vibe, like what he was doing artistically at the time. Yeah. Definitely made things feel more possible for me. Yeah. And, and that, like coming from that too, I feel like he, he made it, uh, I feel like an extension of, of Ronnie Martin and Joy Electric is something in inter- something more contemporary, like Owl City, you know, Adam Young being this, like writing these really pretty soaring bleepy bloopy, uh, very whimsical songs, <laughs> just like painting these uh, whimsical landscapes of, of things. And I'm just like, and he's also like, uh, not a not a masculine dude and it's like just make fucking art (laughs) just make what you want write about what you want you don't need to be like uh he's not like writing like he's like he's also writing about his faith and but he's also talking about flying in airplanes and and like (laughs) and you know just all these bugs or whatever (laughs) yeah right and like i just i I I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for just people following whatever they want to do and trying to be authentic. That's I love that. That's what I'm about. Andrew, I love your vibe right now. You 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 get you got so excited when you were talking about that. <laughs> yeah. That's that Can I thank you? Thank you for saying that. I feel I feel affirmed. Uh I, there's, it's not, it's not often that I, I have my excitement and my, like nobody, nope, people who listen to the podcast can't see me, so they, right, right. all they hear is me yelling most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, John, John and I have, like, this balance, you know, and, and most of the time it's me being uh, yelly and manic and loud. And loud oh, so. yeah. Yeah, you you are you are the Southern Belle at at the Spritzer, and John is definitely like sweetheart. Let's get in the car. I, it's like I do, de- I do, de- <laughs> <laughs> I do declare. Where's my? my I feel I have a, a fainting spell. Where's my Where's my fainting couch? I, I've got the vapors. It's the Harry Potter fainting spell. Exactly. There you go. Uh, I love seeing Andrew in a state of joy. Uh, <laughs> you guys, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, your music brings me joy. So much joy. Um, oh, Andrew, do you have a game we can play? <laughs> I do, Matt. So you are you are a guest on our podcast, which means as a guest on the podcast, I like to write and make a little games for our guests um sometimes they are quizzes sometimes they are uh in your situation it's going to be i'm going to give you a category and two options and you tell me between those two options which is your favorite or the best it's sort of a a sophie's choice sort of situation okay so this Uh, is just like a like a batter's round yeah, yes. so it'll be, it'll be, I'm going to give you a, a category and a couple options. You tell me which is your favorite or preferred uh, in that category. You just want knee-jerk reactions or you want to like think about shit? 
you can think about it. You can tell a story. I mean, it's going to okay. be, it's, it's, it's more conversational too. So it's not just like, okay. boom, 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 boom. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but this is a, a game I like to call Nom Nom. Matt has a whole lot of choosing. <laughs> oh my God, Andrew. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, man. Um, so this, this, <laughs> I can't believe that you did that. I, you're you're so brave. <laughs> um, yeah, I have I have no I have no vocal effects on me, so I did I did my I, I well, did my best. In post, we'll we'll throw some dope yeah, effects I'll, on there. Yeah, I'll get some effects on there. Let me let me. We'll we'll talk about it in in, in, after, in the, after the show. <laughs> uh, okay, so we talked about you growing up in youth group. Everybody knows in youth group. There were lots of different youth group games. So, which was the is the best classic youth group game? Four on the couch or sardines? Um, I think I think sardines. Sardines. Yeah. Did you did you play four on the couch? So I, I think I may have, but I don't know if we called it the same thing. Just give me a quick okay. to, to that. Okay, so everybody put their name in a hat or a bowl or whatever, and then everybody else would then draw a name. And so whatever name you drew, that became your name for the game. And there was an empty chair. And so one person would call a name, and then that person would then come and sit in the empty chair. And what you wanted to do was get everybody in your team on the couch. But like everybody's names were all mixed up. So you had to remember who had what name. And then when you sat in the chair next to the person, you switched. Oh no. So it was like a big memory game and it was it was complicated. It was it it sounds complicated, but it was very fun. It was very fun. So but sardines was more of an uh an excuse to be all all close up in in you know, uh, in in close c- close spaces when you're all course. like, we're all Hufflepuffs ready for cuddles. <laughs> what did right. you think I was gonna say? That's right, ready for them cuddles. Uh, all right, uh, I think this. I, I think I might already know the answer to this one. But best '90s Christian punk band: MXPX or Slick Shoes? Oh, we have to choose between the two. Yeah. Shit. God, I love Ryan and all the Slick Shoes stuff. New um, album coming out soon too. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped about that. I mean, I think as, in terms of like something being formative, I I'm, I have to go with, I have to go with MXPX. I just, I have. To. Um, when did you first hear of MXPX? Oh gosh, this is. Uh, I found their album at a Sam Goody, and it was. The, oh, Goody got it, it buddy. It Goody got very, it. Goody got it. It was the very first <laughs> "Let It Happen." Yes. That, it had like 32 songs on it and it was yeah, like $7. And I was like, yeah. oh shit, <laughs> I am in. I'm in this yeah. business. I love we've, that album. <laughs> we've talked about Sam Goody so much on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the place to go. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I got a, I got the Renaissance EP at Goody. There you go. Ooh, yeah. You got it. Um, so, it, uh, you're also a known Conan O'Brien fan. Uh, <laughs> Erotically so. <laughs> best classic 
Conan O'Brien character. We're talking late night with Conan O'Brien, the first iteration. The masturbating bear or Triumph the insult comic dog? <laughs> um, okay, so this is going to sound weird, but because I'm all about sexual inclusivity and not shaming. I'm going to have to go with just the absurdity of the masturbating bear. There were times where the insult comic dog, like I was like, I just, it, it made me uncomfortable in the best way possible. But like, right, yeah. I, I don't have enough uh, gumption to like, to hurt people's feelings in that way or make fun of them like that. Yeah. Openly. So it would just, yeah. I loved the masturbating bear because <laughs> All it was was just a, a giant bear in a diaper, and <laughs> and just sort of like just sort of jostling. <laughs> it was so 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 absurd. I love it so much. So good answer, good answer. Okay, okay. Um, now I want to get a little bit more. I want to get a little bit more specific here. Um, we're talking. We're talking Asheville now. Oh. Wow. Um, Best pizza in Asheville, Fahrenheit pizza or uh, Fahrenheit pizza and brew house or mellow mushroom? Oh, neither. Okay, tell me, tell me the best pizza because I had this. Uh, I had the same. I think the same response from uh, from Reese on something. He's like, okay, do you want the real answer about the yeah. best? Yeah. So, what is the best pizza in Asheville? Um. So, absolutely, mellow mushroom is great. It's also a chain. Um, okay. So Asheville is like super, we are super big on like shopping local and like keep it in the community and like, you know, support people that way. Um, the Asheville Pizza and Brewing Company makes amazing pizza. And before all the COVID stuff happened, like here, there's a, they have like a $3 movie theater. And so you, you can come in and watch movies and drink beer and order pizza. And it's like, it's the most magical thing when that's you're awesome. with your friends. Um, Sign me up. Yeah, that's great. And there's another little place in West Asheville called Standard Pizza, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And I, yeah, for whatever reason, I just, I want to give a shout out to them because I love them. <laughs> I love their pizza. So. Um, uh, yeah, movies. Pizza, beer. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I miss the simple things. Yes, those are helpful things. Yeah, it's my love language. Uh, best barbecue, uh, Buxton Hall barbecue or Moe's Original? Wow, how do you know about these? Have you ever had any of these? You just looked no. them up on the internet. Um, I have not had it. I'm also. I'm also a vegan and John's vegetarian. So like none of these things are things that I'm just, I'm just curious. I just want to, I just want um, you know, get to get a, get a look into your, into your, your preferences here. Yeah. Davey and I are both Buxton Hall fans. Okay. And there was a fire there recently from what I read. Uh, yeah. That's how hot the sauce is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm actually, I'm not a huge, like, barbecue person. like i don't seek out hmm. barbecue for for whatever reason i'm like chicken and fish like if i okay. never had a hamburger or like pork for the rest of my life i would think i would be okay with that so um, you're a hot hot chicken fan oh rocky's hot chicken shack in Nashville. if you have a chance actually next time you guys are in town i'll take you to rocky's hot chicken shack because you've been so wonderful to hang out with tonight and <laughs> i want to be a good host if you ever come my way 
Do I've they never, have some good I've... sides that we could eat? Because <laughs> we can't eat that chicken. <laughs> oh, right. I should pay attention to that part. Yes. Um, they do I've have... never been to Asheville. They do have corn pudding. Well, no, no. There's some great vegetarian places we can go. And I'll Deal. pay more attention and be a better friend by the time you guys... <laughs> I'll go to the chicken place and just hang out. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, we'll we'll watch you. We'll watch you. Um, no, um, that that's self. That's so selfish. <laughs> well, how about how about one of these places then? Best brewery, Burial Beer or Wicked Weed? Um, both of them are amazing. Wicked Weed was bought out by Budweiser, so they're technically. Oh shit! Yeah, they're technically the man now. Uh, oh damn! But one of my wife's friends actually like helped start Wicked Weed when it was like from the oh. ground up. I will say this: there's some kind of weird like sugary sheen to all of the Wicked Weed beer that just makes it next level. Like mm. it really is legitimately amazing beer. But having said that, like Burial has got legit. You can't find bad beer in Asheville. It just, it doesn't exist. Like everybody is so good. Like the best people in the world, I feel like are here. Um, but I also think it's because of the water. The mm. water here is different. Like the same brewery, like Oscar Blues is here, but they're also in Colorado. Right. And yeah. so when I was out there in Colorado, I, like I had a lot of the same beers and stuff. And I was like, it's not. Interesting. This is not, this doesn't even taste like the same. Fascinating. Beer. Yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, yeah Dale's Pale Ale and like Oscar Blues, they're they're uh, Hell yeah, they're to, I guess if you want to say to blame for the resurgence in in cans. I mean they're they're like that the cans coming back in, in a big way and in in and the craft brewing scene is because of because of them. Um, but also looking up Burial and Wicked Weed and, and looking at their cans, their can art is so cool. It's nice like look. a lot, it looks so amazing. And John, John is a fan of the hashtag Weird Beer, and so they they had they had a lot of interesting sours that yeah. you would be you would be into. Well, right that's on. that's where we need to go then. Forget Rocky's Hot Chicken Shack. We'll like eat some vegetables <laughs> or something and go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Grab some beers there. Perfect. Uh, um, so I think these next couple might be a little unfair, um, but we're talking. We're going to talk some musicians from um, from North Carolina here. Best country or bluegrass artist: Doc Watson or Earl Scruggs? Oh my God! Ah. Uh... I don't know. Maybe maybe Doc Watson. I I so don't care. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fair fair enough. I mean, like, well, Fuck you, the- Doc Watson. Uh, <laughs> I I know that they're both like insanely talented. It's it's just not like you know Spotify's jonesing to shove their new release up my butt. <laughs> fair. Like, right. Okay. Well, what about uh, Jazz Coltrane or Monk? Ooh. Um I think I I think I just like the mood of Coltrane a little bit more. I just like that okay. vibe. Whatever the intangible like yeah, I, I know you're I know you're just trying to suck up to Leonore because he plays the sax. We all know that that's exactly <laughs> what <laughs> No. 
I did no. not uh, realize that they were both from North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. I'm a. I mean, I'm. I am a. I'm a huge fan of that particular era of jazz. So, um, so, so people. I'm a. I'm a huge monk fan. I'm. Yeah. I'm a. Uh, hard bop, post bop, cool jazz kind of. That's kind of my. That's kind of my jam. But I love. I love Coltrane. Um, I, I mean, Bill Evans is also like one of my all-time favorites in terms of uh, jazz pianists. But I was getting down on some Charlie Mingus this week. Oh this yeah, time. he's not. Mingus is another example of 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 like that hard bop, post bop. Yeah. Uh, that era of like the '50s, '60s uh, jazz. <laughs> anyway, I, so uh, yeah, sorry. I don't. I, I don't. I didn't know if you were a fan of like bluegrass <laughs> or jazz. I just. I was just. I was just curious because those are some pretty significant. Uh, people from your neck of the woods. <laughs> right, right, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, this and we're like kind of inundated with like bluegrass and folk around here. So like, you're never more than a stone's throw away from like an absolutely like shredding bluegrass band. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's some. Uh, I mean, I was looking up artists that are also from from North Carolina, and I didn't I didn't realize that there were. I mean, I guess I should have assumed there are a lot of big names come uh, out of like I thought the beloved was from North Carolina my, one of my all one of my all-time favorite bands you you mentioned that you had played you like you're you back in the day you'd play with metal bands do you ever play with between the buried and me because oh they're my another gosh I, we maybe maybe we did that sounds really familiar I mean I know who the band is but I never thought about playing shows with them but it's very possible that we did yeah i they're yeah they're one of my favorite bands of all time and nc baby. from north carolina though are they <laughs> yeah they are wow both them and beloved i think i thought he is legend was from north carolina too man um i could be wrong i could could be wrong about all that uh between the buried be. and me is from raleigh all right here we go a lot of stuff Suck going it, John. on. Yeah, sorry. I've been, <laughs> How dare I've been you? to Raleigh Durham one time. And that's my only experience in the Carolinas, so I gotta change that. Yeah. I th- I think I may have like passed over uh when I was in Eastern Tennessee. <laughs> that that like might have been my like one time in North Carolina, but I have I have no experiences there. We're gonna we're gonna change that all post COVID. We're coming to you. That's, that's it. right. That's it. We got we got some space here. You guys can you guys are always welcome. Awesome. Um, Thanks, man. Is that is that it for game? That is it. That is uh, nom nom. Matt has a whole lot of choosing. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot how crazy. <laughs> That's, you know, we've had some good uh, quiz titles in our time here, but that one, that one takes the cookie, as it were. <laughs> That's, um, it. That's it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Matt, you've been uh, extremely generous with your time. We've had a blast talking to you. Thank you. Um, Everybody should subscribe to 11D Life. Everybody should go pick up 117's Basic Glitches. Uh, hashtag Fast Feeling New Album. That's going to get trending soon, and we're going to support that. <laughs> hashtag uh, Cancel the Bean. You know, we're going to get that for sure. Uh, Hufflepuff Cuddles. Uh, Matt, thanks so much, man. <laughs> thanks, you guys. <laughs> See you later.
Well, thank you very much to our guest, Matt Langston. Thank you for that great conversation. As we said, go check out 11 Life and the other podcasts on the Rock Candy Network. Uh, weigh in on your thoughts on this conversation over at Magnified Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe to the pod if you haven't yet already and give us a rating or review. We'll read your review on the pod. Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 872-7-MAGPOD. Support us over at patreon.com slash magnified pod to get some bonus content, get episodes early, bunch of cool stuff. And you can pick up some merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com. Thanks to shadow producer Jason at Unoriginal Vinyl. And thanks to Heavy Ordnance Studios and Danny Leary for our artwork. Well, time is winding down. But only for this episode, we want you to be found enjoying the next episode. You know, uh, something that Brian told me today that he really appreciates that we've been doing just like letting the pod go longer uh-huh. after, after, after the closing music. And it's like, hey, thanks for listening to the very end. To the very end, yeah. The very, very end. You know, like most people would probably be like, ah, they're doing their wrap up stuff. They're right. talking about all the shit. But like, Someone that listens to like the last like 30 seconds to a minute of the pod, like, yeah, they're getting the, they're getting a little bit of, a little bit of extra stuff, you know, like me yelling about opening up the pit. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, Matt did a very close uh, (laughs) version of today. (laughs) He almost did. It was a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more Eddie Vedder than. (laughs) I feel like. Once he started talking joyously about Joy Electric, he just like lit up and he was just like, this is my fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I, loved, I loved the affirmation of my, yeah. of my excitement. It made me so fucking happy. It was great. Yeah. I just knew he would be, he would be a dude on our level. He's, he's our dude.